Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What an awesome presence of the Lord is here tonight. I am grateful that you're here. I will not be lengthy tonight, but I do feel a burden in my heart. And I want to, for a few moments, share that with you. And then we're going to pray our prayer over our future. Amen. How many of you believe God has a future for us? How many of you are willing to go with me into that future? Amen. I wonder how many we have here tonight that are below the age of 45. Would you lift your hand? 45 or below. Man, how many 50 and below? Maybe I need to up that number, 50 and below. Some of you raise your hand twice. You can't be younger than 50 and or younger than 45, but all right, I won't go there. I'm going to be preaching to you more than anyone tonight, so don't leave before I get through. Man, I'm going to direct you to the book of 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. I'm going to read beginning with verse number 19, and I apologize. I did not get these things to our sound media guys. It's not their fault. It's mine. But that's all right. 1 Kings chapter 19 verse, or chap, yes, chapter 19 verse number 19. Begin reading there and it says, And so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him. And took a yoke from the oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Amen. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about connecting our past to our future. Amen. Connecting our past to our future. How many of you are thankful that you have the blessings of God upon your life tonight? Are you thankful for that? I know none of us deserve it. We're not talking about that. I'm just grateful for the blessings of God. I am, I'm as tickled as a kid in a candy store tonight that has no limit on what he can buy. Amen. And I feel like that with God. 
that he has opened up his treasure house and he said, here, it's yours. Name it. Lay claim to it. Call it yours. Walk about it. Walk throughout it. And I've been trying to get my mind around that idea for the last few days. I want you to ask the Lord to help me. And I want to, for a few moments, talk to you about connecting our past to our future. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The past and the future do not have to be in conflict. As often they are in so many settings, we see a feud between the conflicting ideas of the elders and the younger generation that is coming on. And there are many who are of the opinion that they don't need each other. They don't need uh, the influence of either one. The young don't feel like they need the influence of the elder, and some elders don't feel like they need the influence of the young. But I remind you, church, that the Scripture says that a wise scribe brings out of his treasure both old and new. I believe it is essential for a level playing field and for a balanced church life that there be an element of both. I am understanding enough to know that time brings transition. By the way, I'm not retiring anyway soon. If you've heard that rumor, just put that in the trash, all right? Amen. It might be hopeful thinking for some, but it's not going to happen anytime soon, I can tell you that. But we don't have to be in conflict, and we don't have to be in opposition. Certainly, we have different tastes, and the beat of the music, and the likes and dislikes of generations are different, but the reality is they're both needed for what God wants to accomplish. The story of Elijah is one of the most amazing stories you'll read in the Scripture because he comes out of nowhere. There is no prior history to him. What he did, where he came from, what his ministry had been, he just steps onto the scene and declares, I say it, there will be no rain. No rain for three and a half years until I say it, there will be no rain. And, and then he disappeared as quickly as he appeared. And just as he had said, drought came and and the land began to wither and dry up, but God took care of him, first by the brook, and uh, then when the brook dried up, he had other means to keep him and, and protect him during that time of drought. Finally, it all came to a head when the king was so angry and so distraught at the same time, he didn't know what to do, and there again, Elijah shows up on the scene and said, it's time for us to determine who's going to be God around here. And there is that eventful showdown at, at uh, Mount Carmel and, and the prophets of Baal that are assembled and the length of time that they call upon their gods and the cutting and the slashing of their wrist and the 
bloodletting that went on and yet nothing happened. And then Elijah steps up and he, with a very short 53-word prayer, moved heaven to open its windows and pour out an abundance of rain upon the earth. And the Lord uh, had done such marvelous things that it seemed that he was on uh, this crest of the wave that would take him even to greater things. But the next chapter begins with the threat of Jezebel. And uh, Elijah hides away to the mountains. He runs off and tries to find a cave to get in. And he felt like he was the only one. And this was going to all come to an end. And God spoke to him and reminded him that that he was not through yet and that this was not the the last day and this was certainly not the end of his life and he was not the only one that was serving him. And he reminded Elijah that there were others that had not bowed to Baal. And then he reminded Elijah of what he was still to do. There was still work to be done. Because this picture is not complete. You have done a great work and there has been a great demonstration of my power. But this has got to be connected to a future generation. And so he said, you're going to go by way and you're going to find a young man. And you're just going to drag your mantle across his shoulder. You don't even have to call him. There's going to be enough influence from that mantle that he's going to be able to respond to what's happening. And so it was Elisha uh, plowing in the field with 12 yoke of oxen, which means he was fairly prosperous uh, for a man of his time. And he evidently had made a mark of some kind in the world. But when Elijah came by and Rake that mantle across his shoulders. Everything changed. And the Bible says that he ran after Elijah and said, hold on a minute. I want to be connected to what, what, what I just felt. I, I want to get more involved. I want to know more about what just passed through me. And he said, let me go home and, and, uh, let me, uh, kiss and said, father and my mother goodbye. And, He did even more than that. The Bible says that when he got home that he took the oxen that he had been plowing the field and he offered them on an altar. He offered them as a burnt offering, which was not unusual for men of that day who had had a significant spiritual experience to offer that kind of sacrifice. But what is astonishing to me about that story is that he not only burned the oxen, but he used the plow to burn it with. Now, in my estimation, and it's a pretty simple take on it, his, his, his offering the oxen was his part to God, but his offering of the plow was his offering to God. What he was doing for God by offering that oxen to him was significant. But 
More significant was the burning of the plow. That was for Elisha's sake. He was in essence saying, I have made up my mind and there is no turning back. I want connected to this power that I, I, I want to be a part of this glory that I have felt and I want my life to be connected to that in the future. And so the source of his livelihood and survival was burnt up and it was left behind and the plow is what represented in his life that one thing that could have kept him tied to an old way of life or an old way of thinking. And he set it on fire and he burned it up. And in essence, he was cutting ties with what was so that he could get connected to God's what is. And I am here tonight to tell some folks, young couples in particular, that it is important that you buy in to what God is wanting to do in this hour. It's not enough for you just to enjoy the blessings and the benefits that you have found in this place that have been the result of others that have prayed it down. It's time for you to step up and lay your hand on it and say, I lay claim to that same power and I lay claim to that same promise. By burning those plows, he was burning any escape route that he might have had that would have taken him back to an old way of living. That safety net was thrown away. And burning the plow simply meant that he was fully surrendering himself to the plan and purpose of God for his future. I want to tell you tonight that there is a level of personal sacrifice that everyone that lives for God will find out about sooner or later in your spiritual journey. It is the one thing that will take you to the place that God has designed for you to be. And it's going to cost you some things in your own personal life. There is a personal cost that you're going to have to be willing to pay and be willing to sacrifice if you want to connect your life to the future of what God has planned and what God has purposed for this church. Amen. I am not saying you don't believe in it, but I am saying that there is a great lack. There is a great void when it comes to that level of commitment that is needed to help us move in to our future. And I am here as your pastor and I am here as a burdened older man to tell you that somehow we have to come together as an old and a new and a young church and realize that we need one another more now than we've ever needed each other before. And somehow you as a young person and you as a young couple have got to lay your hand on this and say, this is my future. This is for my family. This is for my children. This is for my grandchildren. 
And I am willing to pay the price for what that is going to entail. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me tell you tonight that there is nothing that you will give up for him that is lost. You will never give anything up that God will not in time and in turn give you more than what you gave. When Elisha went home and he built that bonfire and he burned those plows and he cut those ties, he said, I don't want anything holding me back from being fully committed to God. I don't want anything keeping me distracted. I don't want anything in the back of my mind that could pull on me in times of distress and weariness and make me want to go back to that life. I want to put it down and put it away because I am sold out. What I am needing in this place tonight are some young couples and young people that will stand on your feet and say, God, I am buying into the future of this church Not with just my words, but with my life. I am buying in to the future of what you have planned and what you have purposed for this congregation. Come on and clap your hand to the Lord and give him praise right now. Hallelujah. You know, it's not easy when you're a young person... To keep your mind occupied with the things that really matter. Because there's so much going on in your life. And all that I'm asking for you to do tonight is understand. That if this is going to be ours. Or something greater than this is going to be ours. It isn't going to be it because we rode the back of somebody else. It's going to be because every person young and old. Elijah didn't disappear. As a matter of fact, he stayed connected to Elisha for 10 years. It was 10 years before the Lord took him up in a whirlwind. And 10 years is a long time to work together and see the mighty hand of God displayed. And what I'm saying is I hope that I have 10 more good years or 15 more good years. But however long God gives me to stay here, you're going to have to step up and you're going to have to lay your life before God and say, give it all to you, God, because I want this future. I want that blessing. I want that anointing. I want that touch on my family. I want those blessings in my home. I want that kind of future. Hallelujah. So many times we try to bargain with God. Because sacrifice is simply that. It's sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt, it's not sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. We like to do things for God that don't cause us to go, ouch. Ooh. We like things to be a lot more copacetic. We like things to be just, you know flow and everything don't don't press me don't push me 
But the reality is that this principle is true not only in the church, but it's true in life. You're never going to have anything worth having if you're not willing to commit yourself to it. You're going to have to let go of some things to have other things. You can't pursue everything. You can't have everything. There's too many distractions in life. And there's too many things that we can keep holding on to that are nothing more than a way of escape when the pressure comes on and God's not looking for somebody that's looking for a way out. He's looking for somebody that wants to buy in and say whatever it takes. I don't care if it took that for the elders. Then I'm willing to do that myself. I don't know what kind of sacrifice God called on them to make but I know what kind of sacrifice he's calling on you to make and that sacrifice is to buy in with your whole life with all of your desire with all of your attention with all of your might buy in to this future that God has designed for us I wish that we could become like the woman who came into that room in the closing hours of his life on this earth. She brought with her an alabaster box of precious ointment. There are many that say that it was equivalent to a year's wages. There are some that perhaps say it was worth even more than that. Whatever the, whatever the case might be, it was an invaluable thing that she was bringing to him. But what I love about the story, and you don't get it from just reading one account of it, because Matthew's account of it says she came in and she poured out that alabaster box and she anointed him. That's great. That's what a lot of us like to do. We like to just pour it out, but we don't want to give it all. But Mark defined what really happened. Mark says that when she came in, she break the box. Saying, I'm not holding anything back from me. You're so important to me that I'm not afraid to sell all and follow you. You're so important to me, it doesn't matter what you ask of me. It's never too much because great is what God's going to bless me with if I'm willing to just do a little thing here or there to become part of what His promises are. He's not asking something that I can't do. He's just saying there's something that you can do that some of us have not been willing to do. We want to pour it out every once in a while. We want to bless Him every now and then. But what God's really looking looking for are some people that will just come into his presence and they will take the box and break it and say I'm not holding anything back. I'm not reserving anything for another day. I'm pouring myself out to you. Man. Amen. I'm pouring myself out to you. If God is going to work as he wants to work in our lives and in the future of this church, it's going to take a combined effort of elders and young. I am not looking for a church that has only one and not the other. I don't believe that's a healthy church. I don't want a church full of geriatric patients. And I certainly don't want a church full of only young people.
At this stage in my life, that would drive me batty. No offense there. But I need a church that has elders and young that pray together, that work together, that believe God together. I need a younger generation that will look at these elders that have helped bring us where we are. When I look at my father-in-law who comes hobbling in here at 89 years of age, I see a man that for 50 long years served as an usher and a a right arm to Brother Kilgore. I see Brother DeRuin here and many others, Brother Peden, many of them that were a part of that core group at Life Tabernacle that helped make it the great church that it was. And they were faithful. But I'm here to tell you, it didn't come because they laid back and just let God do it. It came because they were willing to buy in lock, stock, and barrel. They were willing to come no matter what happened on the job and no matter what was going on at home they still found a way to get to church they still found a way to make God first in their life and they found a way to love him in spite of everything that was going on in their life some of the prime years of my father-in-law were spent having to care for a very sick wife who for many, many years was was very sick and had seven major operations and all kinds of physical ailments in her younger life. My father-in-law worked at Roman Haas Chemical Company. He's not here tonight, so I can talk about him. He worked at Roman Haas Chemical Plant. He would get up at about 5 o'clock in the morning and go to work. He would help tell the girls where to go and, and, and get dressed for school, get out, because their mother was in a Mayo Clinic in Minneapolis. He would go to work. He would work all day. He would come home. He would cook supper. And when church time came, he didn't say, girls, it's a long day. Let's just have us a, a, a little family time. He said, girls, let's get ready. It's church time. And not one year in all of those years of his wife's sickness did my father-in-law ever use as an excuse for not coming to church. And I'm not here to beat you down tonight. I'm just here to tell you that there's a level of commitment that it takes to build anything worthwhile. And it doesn't come because you have all the personality. It comes because you have a commitment. It comes because there's something inside of you. In a permanent way, I want to get connected to what happened to me. And I want to connect in a permanent way. I don't want anything to shake me from that. I don't want anything to take that away from my life. I'm closing. And I hope that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. I'm not mad at anybody. I, I don't. If I'm preaching like that, I, I apologize. But I feel very deeply what I'm saying right now. Somehow, young people, young couples, young adults... You have got to understand that there is a burden to carry. And there is a prayer that has to be prayed that will bring the breakthrough. That will cause the Holy Ghost to fall like rain in a place. Amen.
Somebody come by one day and visited Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, and they were they were so impressed by Charles Spurgeon, his preaching, just eloquent. One of the greatest preachers probably that ever lived, produced more sermon material than anybody in recorded history that I know of. But they asked him after service, they said, what, what's the secret to all of this? This great preaching, this great church, this great throng of people. And he said, come and follow me. And he took them down through a lower area of, of, of the building and they went down this corridor. And the story goes that as they moved forward down this, this hallway, the people that had inquired could hear some kind of sound coming from behind the walls. And it sounded kind of eerie, sounded kind of weird. They didn't know what was going on. Charles Spurgeon didn't say a word. He said, where are you taking us? He said, I'm taking you to our furnace. I'm taking you to the, to the power source. I'm going to show you what makes this place great. When he finally got to the door and he opened it, the room was packed with over 500 people that were on their knees in travail. Every service, over 500 people would join in that room praying for God to do something great up there. And for many, many years, thousands upon thousands of people came through that place and were impacted by the gospel and the ministry and the touch of God that they felt on their life. It didn't happen because a man was a great preacher. It happened because people knew how to tap in to the true power source. And they knew how to connect to that power that could only transform the lives of men like nothing else could. It was the only thing that could transform the lives of men. And I'm here to tell you that this man right here cannot do this. And this man right here has not done this. Whatever is here right now is here because men and women alike have joined hands and said, Yes, we believe in that future. And yes, we believe that's our future. And yes, we're committed to that future. And we stand with you and we work with you and we are for that future. And stand everybody in the building. Amen. I tell you what I want us to do, young couples tonight. I want some young couples. We're going to pray over these plans. I told you we were going to do this every service. We're going to play it, pray over them every service. We may not do it the same way every service, but we're going to pray over them every service. I need young couples. I need young people. I need you to come up here, and I need you to lay your hands on these plans and say, these are mine. Would you do that? Would you be willing to make that kind of commitment? Just come on. Don't You don't have to start praying yet because everybody's going to pray but you're willing to buy in to this future that God has. And you're not going to wait for somebody else to do it. You're going to do it yourself. You're going to connect your life to what God is leading us into. Amen. Come on. Gather around. 
Get as close as you can. There's more room over here. Pressure. I want everybody that can. I want you to get around it. I want you to be where you can touch it. Amen. Get behind it. Get beside it. Reach between each other. Come on. I love this. Amen. I love this. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is how God's going to do what He wants to do. Amen. Every elder in this building, I want you to stretch out your hands now toward this. And I want you to begin to pray because this is our future. In more ways than one, this is our future. This has got to get in our heart. This has got to get in our spirit. We've got to dream it. We've got to talk it. We've got to pray it. We've got to believe it. Come on, I want you to begin to call that name over those plans and I want you to begin to confess that that dream that vision, that future is mine, it's for my family, this is for my children and if God tarries it will be for my grandchildren God that it will be a place where truth will be taught and where your spirit will be embraced unashamedly oh Holy Ghost tonight Yes, yes, come on. Let him hear your prayer. Let him see your sacrifice. Make that offering to him tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 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 In the name.